0: Church family. Last week, I was cleaning out my car, and as I reached into the center console of my car, I found this little CD. And it's dated on there, it has my name on it, 1025 2009. And what makes this CD significant, and I hadn't seen this in a long time, is this is the very first sermon that I ever preached. 2009, so 13 years ago, approximately. And I was reminded of a simple quote that I heard. From one of my pastors in Cincinnati, and he reminded me this. He said, Aaron, preachers don't build churches, churches build preachers. And that we have a responsibility as a local church to raise up preachers of the gospel. If we want the gospel to continue to go forth around Ohio and around the world, we have a responsibility as a church to train up men who can become pastors, who can become evangelists, who can become church planters in order to preach the gospel in the places where it hasn't been preached yet. And y'all, we have an opportunity today to hear from one of my friends, Seth Murphy. Um, Seth has been with our church since the very beginning, back in my living room when I didn't even know him. And over these last four years, Seth has become a good friend and encouragement to me. Um, One thing he doesn't know is that uh, I get several encouraging notes from so many people in our church, which is such a blessing to me as a pastor. Uh, But there's one note that I actually keep in my Bible in the back all the time, and it's a note from Seth. And I've had this in my Bible for about a year and a half, and I don't take it out and I read it all the time. Because there's something about Seth's quiet confidence that encourages me and keeps me stable as a pastor, knowing that there's certain men that have my back that can come in the shadows and and leave, and you might not know they're there, but they pray for you, and they got you. And so today we get to hear Seth preach his very first sermon to our church, and I need a couple things from you. Attentive ears and encouraging spirits. Seth, can you join me up here, buddy? I wanna pray for you, and then I'm gonna sit on the front row and take notes, man. God, I thank you for my friend, Seth. I thank you for the encouragement that he is to me, that he is to this church. I thank you how he humbly leads and serves in the context of Living Hope Columbus, and he has done that for so many years. And so God, as he now preaches your word, God, would you give him wisdom? God, would your spirit rest upon him? And God, would you challenge, convict, and encourage your church this morning through what you've taught him? We love you, Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.
1: All right, hey, well, good morning. Like, um, like Aaron said, my name is Seth Murphy, and- I'm very nervous right now. Typically I'm up here with a guitar and that's much more uh, comforting for me. So without it, I feel really awkward, Um, but I'm excited. Um, Even though uh, you get really nervous around this stuff, um, this is a passage that God has been, I think just kind of showing me different things over the past year or so. And so um, this is where this message has come from. So I'm excited to share that with you today. Uh, Before we get to that though, a little bit about me. So um, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Kristen, for a little over six and a half years. I'm so thankful for her. And um, she is, um, in every way, made me um, a better man. And um, I've rewarded her by just helping her to be more patient with me. That's really my my thing. Um, But I'm so thankful for her. And together we have three children. We have twin girls that are gonna be turning four here in a couple of weeks. And we have a 20-month-old son, so we are very busy. Um, Life is always crazy, but we're so thankful that um, God's blessed us with them. And like Aaron mentioned, we've been uh, with Living Hope uh, Columbus since the beginning. Um, A little bit of backstory of how that happened, actually. Uh, We were going to a church locally in Columbus um, for a little bit after we'd gotten married. During that time, we were trying to have children, and it was about a year and a half. Just nothing was happening. And at the end of that time, my wife actually had a miscarriage. Um, Excuse me. And um, you know, from that, we decided to uh, just go to, to go to a church where we had a little bit more of a connection. And that was Living Hope Church Marysville. So we went back there. And uh, shortly after that, probably just a couple of weeks, we found out that uh, Aaron and some guy named Joe was starting a church in Powell, Ohio. <laughs> and uh, so we went, we checked it out. And um, we're so thankful to, to be here with Aaron and Joe and the families here. Um, and I, I love to share that story because you don't always understand why God does what he does, why he allows um, what he allows. You know, but it's, it's important that we continue to trust him in that. And um, if my wife and I didn't go through that difficulty, I don't know that we would have found our way here, ultimately. So, so thankful for that. And one other thing, too, you know, in, in preparing for this message as well, I start to realize the weight and importance of what this type of thing is. And I'm so thankful for Aaron and Joe and that we have men that, that lead our church well, that are faithful. And um, I think if, um, if there's an encouragement I could give us is to continue to pray for them daily, continuing to encourage them, and to get involved. Because it's not just them that should be doing everything around here, it's us. And um, like Aaron said last week, um, the gospel travels best on the backs of helping people, and that's us. That needs to be us. So, anyway, all right. I'm done with that. Let's get to uh, get to the word. Um, so, if you have a copy of God's word, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through seven. Um, Ephesians two, chapters one or chapter two, verses one through seven. I'm so excited. Let's dive into the word this morning. And God's word says this: "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world." according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the truth that is found in your word. God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to receive your word today. God, let no confusing speech come out of my mouth, God, but just let your truth and your word be made known, and just be felt in our hearts today, and God, just let us, let us leave here changed. God, just let us leave here with a greater appreciation of your word, and I said in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've been a Christian since you were a child, like I have been, you most likely do not have a story of some radical or miraculous conversion. Um, I wasn't passed out drunk on the floor in a ditch somewhere where God then stepped into my life to save me. But perhaps uh, your story' is a little bit more like mine. Uh, you grew up in a Christian home. You were saved at a young age. I was the son of a pastor. Um, and then by the grace of God, he has, he has kept me throughout my life until now. And if you're like me, you can also wonder how we can ever fully appreciate what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't say that to make other stories of less effect. I know that God uses those stories to draw others to him. But I think if we make the focus about what we once were instead of who we are now in Christ, it would take the focus away from where it should be, and that is in Jesus. Because ultimately, all of our stories are the same. We were saved from the just penalty due our sin and the wrath of God by what Jesus did on the cross. And so my goal for today is simply this, to help us see either for the first time or to remind many of us that we are dead in our sin, that we all deserve the just wrath of God. And because of that, the very fact that our lives are saved is miraculous in and of itself and worthy of our very lives and every breath that we have in devotion to Christ. And I think we can have a good understanding of that looking at this passage in Ephesians 2, which is simply the gospel. We're going to look at the gospel today. So, starting back at Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, we see um, this Paul writing to the Ephesian church saying, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that word dead is from the Greek, it, it's nekros, it means to be lifeless, it means to be like a corpse, it means to be completely unresponsive to the things of God. And why, why, why were, are we dead? Why were we dead? Well, we're dead in our sin because our very nature is sin. We're born into sin because of what happened in the garden in Genesis 3.6. Romans 5.12 gives us uh, this picture as well where it says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. So, we can take from this that this is the default human condition without God. As John MacArthur puts it, a pastor out in California, he says that men apart from God are spiritual zombies, the walking dead who do not know that they are dead. And they go through the motions of life, but they do not possess it. So, we have walked this world aimlessly, unreactive and unresponsive to the things of God. And we're dead, right? But we also walked according to this world. It says this in verse 2. It says, In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. So not only were we dead, we walked in lockstep with this world and with Satan. It says in 1 John 5, 19, that the world is under the sway of the evil one. It says also in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that in their case, speaking of those perishing without God, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And it says also in Acts twenty six eighteen, 18, Paul is, is speaking of his conversion. He says that Jesus says to him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And we saw there at the end of verse two, the spirit working in the disobedient, your translation may say sons of disobedience. It's this idea that we take on the characteristics of our parents, take on the characteristics of our fathers or our mothers. I know I have things that I do that my parents do. I'm sure you do as well. And I see this even in my own children. And my son um, specifically, You know, ever since he's been uh, big enough to hold a little tykes basketball, I've tried to teach him how to shoot or try to dribble. I try to pass. And and even though he can't do those things yet, he's studying me. He's watching me. He's trying to mimic me. He wants to do what I'm doing. In the same way, we see what this world does and we want to do it. Jesus echoes this when he says in John 8 44 that, that you are of your father, the devil, and that you want to carry out your father's desires. So when we are dead, apart from God, we're living according to the worldly desires, and according to the evil one who rules this world. And this is no matter who we are. Uh, we see in this particular passage, Paul actually referring to, t- to two groups of people. In verse 1, where he says, and you were dead, he's speaking to the Gentiles, to the Ephesian church. And then later in verse 3, Paul mentions, we too, Well, he's talking about Jews if we think about the difference between the Gentiles and Jewish people, the Jews had their inheritance in Abraham. They were heirs of the promises of God. They were entrusted with the word of God, which is the Old Testament, and contained the message of salvation. But contrasting that, the Gentiles were far off. Paul mentions this later in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, at that time, you were without Christ excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But even though the Gentiles were far off and the Jews too were living according to their flesh and needed a savior, uh, Romans 3, Paul says that both groups were under sin, that no one is righteous, and that the whole world is guilty before God. And Paul even includes himself in the we, um, if you remember back in, in, in Philippians 3, Paul states that if anyone had confidence to boast in the flesh, it was him. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So even though Paul was morally upright and could be considered without fault, He recognized his need for a savior. He says in Romans chapter three, verse 23, something that we're all familiar with, where it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So because our very nature is that of sin, we deserve nothing but the full outpouring of God's wrath upon us. Verse three, it says this, we too, all previously lived among them, and our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were, by nature, children under wrath, as the others were also. And I realized I forgot to mention my first point, that we were all dead, but my second point <laughs> is that we were under wrath. We were under wrath, that's our second point that we're seeing here today. So we're like criminals, sentenced to receive the just penalty due for our sins. And without God, this wrath is being saved up for us on the day of judgment. We see in Romans two, five, and eight, it says, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then in verse eight, he says that he will repay wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. We see this also in John 3:36, where it says, The one who believes in the Son, has eternal life. The one who rejects the son will not see life, but instead the wrath of God remains on him. And I think about it this way, and a horrible illustration is, of course, I brought a prop, Um, but, um, you know, if you think about a balloon, right, if you fill this balloon with air or if you fill it with water or sand or anything, right, it's just going to expand more and more as you fill it up with whatever you're putting in it. And at some point, it's just going to give way, At some point, whatever's in this balloon is going to give way and just outpour all over. In the same way, that wrath is being stored up for us. And then more and more, more and more is being stored up that day of judgment. And this is hard for us to comprehend. This is really not anything we typically talk about in our modern church. How can a loving God pour out his wrath on all mankind? we always ask ourselves, well, isn't God love? Isn't he kind? Isn't he good? Isn't he gracious? Isn't God merciful? And the answer to this question, is, of course, is yes. But God is also holy. And he is also just. And he has all of those things and more. And he cannot look upon our sin. It says in Habakkuk 1.13, That God's eyes are too pure to look on evil, and that He cannot tolerate wrongdoing. In Nahum 1, 2, and 3, it also says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God, that He takes vengeance and is fierce in His wrath, and He's furious with His enemies. And that the Lord is slow in anger, but great in power, and He will never leave the guilty unpunished. So, because He is holy, and just, and will not let the guilty go unpunished. We rightly deserve this wrath upon us. Complete separation from God. And because of our default condition, we are enemies of God, and apart from him, there is no life, both now and forever. Apart from God, we are destined to eternal death, and apart from him, we are sentenced to receive the full weight and fury of his wrath. What is that wrath? We just talked about wrath that is um, found on the day of judgment. but We also see wrath even now. It says in Romans 1.18, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness. Of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So even though God is evident in the things around us, they choose not to see the truth. And they're given to worthless thinking. Becoming fools. And we see that manifested today in, in physical impurity, in our unnatural relations or debased minds. And it goes on in Romans 1 29 to say that they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy unloving and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those things who practice these things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. It sounds like so much of what we see in our culture today where we lift up. Everything's upside down. We lift up the things that we know are not true. We lift up the things that are unrighteous. We put down the things that God holds up. And we can struggle to grasp that that is the proper reaction to our to our sin but since god is holy he is reacting as we should expect him to react so what hope is there no matter who i am the gentile or jew we're dead and under wraps so what can be done And we've talked about this as we were working through the book of galatians right a, de- a dead man can't raise an- another dead man a sinful man cannot save a sinful man And the law can't save us. So even though this bad news, and we've spent a little bit of time talking about the bad news, it just makes the good news that much better. And that brings us to our last point, that we are saved by His grace. And that starts in verse four. If you look at this with me. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. So we just came off saying that God is holy and just, but remember we also said that God is merciful and loving and kind and that he loves us. And since he loves us and knows that we cannot save ourselves and knows that we are, knows that we are helpless in the light of this truth, he sent the only one that could stand in our place. And the penalty of our sin required not only a perfect sacrifice, but someone who lived as we lived or walked as we walked. And that person is Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And this doesn't mean that, that Jesus became a sinner. No, we see it later in Hebrews 4 that, that we have a high priest in Jesus that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses who in every respect was tempted yet without sin. And instead, he bore our sin and he bore our iniquities and he bore our transgressions. It says in Isaiah 53, which is just a beautiful passage pointing to the suffering of Christ, where it says, beginning in verse 4, that he bore our sicknesses, that he carried our pains, that he was pierced because of our rebellion, he was crushed because of our iniquities, that the punishment of our peace was upon him. And we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. It says later in verse 10 that it pleased God to crush him severely. And like, you may ask yourself, why on earth would it please God to crush him severely? But you can understand that, that through him, and it says this in, in verse 11, Isaiah 53, that through Jesus, that through his righteous servant, he will justify many That's you and me. It says in Romans 5, 6, 8, and 9, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. So if we go back to that, we'll call it the balloon of wrath, right? Jesus took all that wrath, all of that that was being stored up for us, all throughout human history, and he took it upon him. That's even before, I mean, if you think throughout human history, people that died before Christ or not even born, like you and me. He took it all upon himself. We were dead in our sin, but by grace through faith in Christ, we are made alive. First Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 says, we are not destined for wrath, but salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we live or die, we might live with him. Our debts are erased and we're nailed to a cross, what it says in Colossians two fourteen, And not only that, we see in verse 6 this, it says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So not only were we dead and under wrath, but now we've been made alive and we've been raised up to a place of honor, the right hand of God. It says in Ephesians 1.20, this is where Christ has been placed above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion above every name. We're adopted now as sons and daughters according to Ephesians 1.5 and Galatians 3.26. We were far off, but now we've been brought near. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're no longer in hostility towards God, but because of Jesus, we have peace with him. And greatest of all, we get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And why was this done? Why would God make a way for our sins to be covered our sins to be forgiven, what well, says in verse seven, this, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It was to show us his kindness. It was to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. It was to show us his glory. It says later in verse 8 that it's a gift to us. It's not anything that I can earn. It's not from works so that no one may boast. Paul says at the end of Galatians 6 that he would only boast in in the cross of Christ because it's not anything that he could do. And God didn't have to do this. He didn't have to make a way for us to be reconciled to him, but he did. And he did that to show us his glory. It is to the praise of his glory. We see earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 6, it says that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, before creation, he chose us to be holy and blameless in love before him, that he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us. It says also in verse 12, that those who had put their hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Saving us, reconciling us, causes us to recognize his glory. It was all done for his glory. So what are we to do then when presented with this truth? We can either choose to receive the gift that he has given us, or we can choose to reject. If we receive, we choose life, and we choose everything that we just outlined. We choose new mercies every day. But if we reject, we choose death, and we choose to remain in wrath. And this is a choice that we see throughout Scripture. The Israelites were presented with a similar choice in Deuteronomy 30. They were given the choice between life or death blessing or curse and the truth was clear to them as it is to us now and the truth is this that salvation requires faith in Jesus Christ repenting from sin allowing Jesus to rule over our lives and we should be careful not to misconstrue what salvation means Jesus didn't come to save us from a hard life or from sickness He didn't come to save us from a bad marriage or a soul-sucking job, a dysfunctional family, or to give us earthly riches or for us to live our best life now. He saved us from our sin because that is what was needed. And all of that, all of this life fails in comparison and ultimately knowing Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3 that, that he counts it all as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So friends, this is, this is our story. It's not about who I once was, but it's who I am now, who we are in Christ. And whether you're hearing this for the first time today or one of many, the gift of God in Jesus should cause us to live a life in awe, and wonder to the glory of the gospel. It should cause us to live a life full of forgiveness, full of kindness, full of love, full of holiness. Our lives should look more and more like Jesus. So if you haven't made that choice today, I encourage you to make that choice for life Because without Christ, we remain spiritually dead. And we remain under wrath. There is a way out. It's like being told by a doctor you have a terminal disease, but there is a cure. This cure is Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna invite the praise team um, back up as we respond. Um, don't, Don't leave here today. If this is not a choice you've made, Choice to accept Jesus as Lord of your life and to to remove yourself under death and under wrath. I I implore you to make that today. Because life is so much better here now. And you will have life everlasting. So it's a choice that we should all make. Let's pray. Father, thank you. What grace. What love what kindness and what gift that you have given us. Father, we pray that just what we've heard here today, what we've read through today, God, that just will take hold in our spirits, take hold in our hearts, God, will just cause us and and inform us to to live a life more and more like Christ. Father, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to, to share it openly because of the truth that lies within your word. God, just thank you for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to study your word. And I ask that as we respond in song, God, that you would just continue to work in us, continue to draw our hearts towards you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.